Okay, friends, let's get curious and let's have a chat. This is Generation Jams. This is Dr. Jennifer, and thank you for joining us for Generation Jams. In this series, we discuss generations, what the idea of generation means, how people are similar regardless of generation, and where we are different, how we can appreciate that which makes us unique. In the journey we take in this series, we hope to encourage curiosity and open-minded thinking around age and the intentional building of intergenerational relationships so we can live, learn, and work together with appreciation. Jothan Cachero is a freelance creative director and designer working in the branding space for consumer goods packaging. You can check out his work at jothancachero.com or find him on LinkedIn or email him at jothancachero at gmail.com. Welcome to Generation Jams, Jothan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you join us. I really appreciate it. So as you may have identified from our podcast, we talk about our our zone of genius is <laughs> trying to highlight the benefits of living, working, and learning in an intergenerational way. So if you feel comfortable, what generation do you identify with? Sure. I uh, I think when people ask me this, I, I say Generation X. It's technically true, if depending on which you know time frame you're looking at. But I, I would say that I don't necessarily ever, I haven't up until the last few years ever thought of myself as really identifying with it necessarily. Yeah. I, you know, I hear that a lot from people when I'm talking about the podcast or just talking in general that, that, you know, I technically, I guess I'm a millennial or whatever, mm. but it doesn't really have any meaning to them, which I get. And actually that's a, a really good thing because, um, <laughs> these these uh big bucket terms as i refer to them really seem to functionally keep us in silos there's so much benefit in you know thinking outside of our silo and just being uh willing to be open to friendships and relationships of of all ages um yeah. so when you think about one of the things that we're trying to do with our podcast is to dispel also stereotypes about generations. I am technically a Gen Xer. Um, I don't find myself in the, the stereotype. But what are your thoughts about these stereotypes, not just about your own generation, but um, younger and older generations? Yeah. Well, I, I think um, with Gen X specifically, you know, for me, there are parts of it that I, I can definitely identify with. There are certainly stereotypes that come out of Gen X that I identify with. But but looking across the board, there are stereotypes with every generation that I can identify with. I'd like to think that I have a little bit of all of them <laughs> in me. And we probably all do, right? We probably all have some of the same biases that uh, people try to pin on generations and, and all of us. 
but with you know with gen x um i you know it's funny because i think that i heard about sort of the negative uh stereotypes about gen x before i even understood that i was part of it the idea that they are slackers that they're cynical that uh you know they're, that uh, they're kind of uh, maybe too independent for their own good um and it's interesting because i do think a lot of that sort of negative uh understanding of gen x has kind of uh, been pushed aside and disappeared as gen x in general has been sort of left out of generational conversations which maybe that's for the best ultimately but i you know looking back at, at all these different sort of stereotypes for them you know i i definitely am relatively a cynical person i think and i i definitely was a latchkey kid i definitely grew up with divorced parents which seemed to be a large part of of understanding gen x uh, and I definitely am independent in a sense. I, I've been, you know, working on my own really for the last almost 16 years at this point. So I, I can see some of the through lines there, you know, that people describe in my own personality, even though I myself never really actively sort of identified with it. That is a really great point. And I'm going to pull out something that you started with in that there's a a little bit of of the the gener- the stereotype across generations. So, you know, slacker, lazy. Um, we say that now about, or, or not, you know, the collective we, um, mm. assign, especially Gen Z and less now, I think millennial, but I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, we were saying the millennials are so lazy, they're entitled. Mm-hmm. And now that is getting passed down. And that's really an interesting observation that that these stereotypes have crossed generations. And I wonder if we see the positive things that we want assigned to our generation in other generations, but then for whatever reason, assign negative stereotypes to younger generations, like they're, they're lazy, which I just find yeah. fascinating because in, in discussions with younger um, people, they're, I, I just find that they're anything but lazy. So, um, yeah, it yeah. just, yeah, it, it, it also seems like every generation does describe the previous generation as lazy. And it just seems like across the board, they might use different words, you know, for it. Yeah. Um, slacker seems to be unique to Gen X, but certainly every generation has been called, you know, lazy in some way by the generation that came before it. That seems to be just a general misperception that everyone goes through. Yeah, and but, I, you know, I oh, may, go ahead. maybe also entitled. That seems to come up a lot. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, it, it could be that I just, you know, wasn't aware as a Gen X, maybe the older generation was saying this about me when I was in the workplace. I know that for that, that is used frequently. You know, Gen Z just, they want to come right in the door and get, promoted they're just so entitled this idea that you have to put your time in you have to suffer like i did um Mm -hmm. i'm not being very eloquent here but i wonder if that's kind of just a phenomenon across generations like we've been carrying this uh, assigning it to younger generations that they're not earning their spot yeah, I, I think that's entirely true. I mean, I, I think that there is sort of a, a progression of thinking about generations that seems to happen for every generation as they age. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that uh, people that maybe are in control of the narrative, people that are probably in control of, of say, 
publishing or in, in control of marketing or, or, you know, other sort of like audience facing sort of aspects about the discussion, they end up kind of changing, you know, the stereotypes and the aspects of the generation as the, as different generations come into control of that. Right. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, we see an evolution of, of impressions of generations as they both mature and grow. But regardless, when generations first enter the adult space, I mean, I think almost universally, they're, you know, they're, they're too quick to demand things. They maybe seem overconfident. They seem like they're not doing, they're not pulling their weight. You know, it's, it's just a general sort of discussion that happens probably forever. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely have read some stuff about generations from the mid 1800s about the way that they were just sort of, uh, you know, too over eager maybe to jump into something or, or maybe they were not necessarily will, willing to pull their weight on, on different, you know, in different industries the same way as the older generations. So clearly it's just something that's repeated over and over again. That, Which I yeah. think has to be because of a, th like, I think that all older generations feel threatened by this, uh -huh. you know, by the new, the new blood, the new yeah. youth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a really fascinating observation. As you said, I think maybe it's part of just the adjustment to being a professional and presenting yourself into a new career and, and wanting to impress. Um, mm. And, you know, you just come out of school or you, you just moved to a new town or whatever it is. And, and you want to, maybe you do feel like I worked really hard in school and I should go right to the top. I don't know. There, are, there is a certain amount of, of learning. And if you want to call that dues paying or whatever to adjust, I, I think that's a really important point to think about rather, rather than judging, just understanding this is part of the entry into the workplace. And, you know, if it's, if somebody sustains that mindset for six years, then, okay, maybe that's a little bit of a entitlement. I don't know. <laughs> Thinking about people um, from jet that, you know, who are around your age, what is it that you feel like th your, your friends, your work colleagues, want from life and this is something that has been really fascinating me especially since the start of the the pandemic and mm. i think that for the most part we're all kind of going in the same generation but i'm really fascinated to pick it apart do you have any thoughts on that well you know i i think the same thing again probably applies to multiple generations the base level of what my friends are looking for or cohorts are looking for is just security and stability, right? I mean, it's just sort of a sense of needing to be uh, able to feel in control of, of their career paths and, and of course of, of their sort of family planning and, and all those things. Um, but I do think that it, I, there might be more of a streak of independence in terms of the way that we approach the long-term view for us at this point. Um, I think that I talk a lot to friends that are kind of in the same age space about more so lately about maybe their retirement thinking, you know, in terms of what their their overall plans might be, but also in terms of where they think their careers will go uh, in terms of longevity for them. And I, I do get a sense overall that people are much more concerned about the security of that, you know, that people are definitely concerned that they're going to age out of whatever they're they're doing, that they're going to get pushed out of whatever they're doing. 
uh, and that they're not necessarily going to be able to make, uh, you know, everything kind of sync up for themselves later in life. Yeah. I don't know how much of that kind of paranoia is part of every generation, you know, because I'm only starting to have these conversations now anyway. I'm in uh-huh. my early to mid 40s. So it's, it's definitely something more on the mind. But it does seem like everyone I talk to is kind of feeling the same way, which is we need to figure this out. Yeah. Now. We need to figure out how to take control of it now before it's too late. That is a great point. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, I don't recall this coming up in prior interviews, but that is really an exceptional point because it's almost an existential question about what next, especially if you are concerned about retirement and what that looks like. And if you're not comfortable with the gig economy, as many older, and I'm just referring in general, older workers are not comfortable with the gig economy or as comfortable as younger generations. So that, um, that's a really important point. I appreciate you bringing that into the discussion. Yeah. I definitely, yeah, I think that there's definitely a sense that what our parents have done is not necessarily going to work for us. Having said that, uh, you know, my parents have a wide variety of uh, sort of comfort levels in their retirement. My, you know, one side, my father's doing fine. My mother is struggling. You know, it's, I've seen definitely both ends of the situation. I've seen sort of the way that people can get priced out of their home care. I've seen the way that people can kind of lose themselves in, in retirement. Uh, and I think that everyone I talk to, especially in the creative industry, feels that like there is a definitive you know, line in the sand for when you will be relevant for, for an agency or relevant for working in this industry. And if you're not somewhere near the top, then you've you got to figure out how to do it on your own entirely, you know, because otherwise there's no way you're going to be able to continue working in that same situation. So I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if, if it's partly, I mean, as you said, it's, there's an identity crisis part of this, right? And certainly at the age where people have these identity crises. So maybe that's also part of this. Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm getting so much of it from this, uh, from my cohorts right now. But, but I, I do think that there is also just this sense of a lack of control among uh, other friends that we have about our futures. Yeah. Well, we're just at, and historically difficult time and it's a there's a seismic change in just about every aspect of society so it makes it really sort of makes sense that people would be evaluating okay i need to take stock here because people are losing their jobs despite you know what we hear on the news people are are struggling financially um and in order to do any long-term or short-term planning. You know, what's my fallback plan if all of a sudden my work dries up or I get mm-hmm. a pink slip and, um, you know, the goon squad shows up at my door with a box full of my things from my desk? Um, <laughs> do I have savings enough until I get a new job? And, you know, the reality that I think doesn't get discussed enough for older workers is the difficulty in getting employment gig work or otherwise um yeah so yeah. I, I mean not just because of any perhaps biased about age you know any kind of ageist issues but also because the process has changed so dramatically i mean to your point you know we're at a point of, of a real upheaval across the board in terms of society but 
just the way that people uh, would get jobs has changed so dramatically in the last decade, even, you know, in a way that I don't even fully understand because I've been kind of out of it for a little while now. And I can see how that's a real intimidating process um, that, you know, you reach a certain point and it, it just seems like maybe you can't fix that at a certain age. Great point. Again, yeah, that I hadn't heard it described that way before, but that is spot on. Um, lots of discussion, you know, online about the process is broken. You know, I can't get a job because HR is just broken. It's maybe not broken. It's just different or changing. And maybe it is mm -hmm. broken, but that's an excellent point that it's changing and maybe there's not enough attention to how it's changing to help sort of upskill job, older job seekers to understand what they need to do. I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's a really great point. I hadn't thought of that before. So I'm, I'm working through this um, a little clumsily, but I appreciate that mm. point. Um, so another thing that has come out of the pandemic, which I think actually is really good and healthy, despite the fact that it came out of very unfortunate circumstances and we're not done with the pandemic yet, is our mm -hmm. thoughts about work-life balance and you know the, this revisiting of priorities and to solidify or, or make this point concrete, do we check email evenings and weekends? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and for me, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <I do> anyway, <laughs> I mean, but I, you know, it's, it's interesting because even before the pandemic and before everyone started really working remotely, I was already working remotely. You know, when everything happened about three years ago now, I, I was already kind of in the position that, I mean, I, nothing really changed for me, honestly, in terms of my day-to-day -day schedule. I was already at a point where I was, um, you know, freelancing independently, but I, really what I was doing, I, I had, I was a partner in a, in a company uh, for a number of years. And then, uh, you know, we reached a point where I decided that I wanted to move on from that. And I decided to leave and look for positions at other companies. And during that process, I started freelancing. Um, and my initial looking around wasn't too successful. And then the pandemic happened. And so I just became a freelancer, ultimately. Uh, and I'm, I'm still not exactly sure if I want to continue down that path or not, because I think that, I mean, just to the point we were just talking about, it, it can be really hard as a lifestyle uh, or as a, a career choice at a certain age. I mean, this, you know, between the, the lack of benefits you might have and the lack of stability, it's a really hard thing to manage. But, but either way, like, you know, it definitely was useful for me that everyone seemed suddenly comfortable with the idea of working with anyone remotely. I mean, that certainly helps my, my work and it certainly helped like finding new, new clients and things like that. Uh, and it did change my work-life balance in a sense, uh, in that I, felt more encouraged to sort of adapt, uh, you know, more active sort of, um, I, I felt more encouraged to feel more on call, I guess is what I would say. I felt more encouraged to try to react and to, to be always available for clients. But even when I had a small company, it was roughly the same thing. You know, people always think that if you're freelancing, you have so much freedom, you have so much independence. And really it's like just having a lot of different bosses that yeah. are all at different companies, right? I mean, you have to kind of please everyone at all times if, if you can. So there's, there's pluses and minuses to that. I, I also feel like just with what I'm doing as a, in a creative industry, so much of my own identity is wrapped up in, in the process of this. You know, I, I really enjoy the creative aspect of it, right? 
so it's hard for me to, to ever put that away. It's hard for me to ever uh, feel like I, I should be like, it's, it's hard for me to ever turn off the, the kind of creative thinking that might go into a project. And then uh -huh. it's also hard for me to ever think that I should, even if I'm not working on an actual project, I'm definitely thinking about other creative projects I want to accomplish. Maybe not for money, but just because I, I have this love of it. Sure. Yeah. So it's kind of that old um, saw, if you work for yourself, you, you get to work half days and you get to choose which 12 hours you work. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One aspect, I mean, it seems like you were actually kind of ahead of the curve in sort of hanging up a shingle and doing your own thing. And one thing that I think gets kind of lost, and I, I teach at university, so I, I see that my students have sort of internalized already. They've digested the gig economy and they sort of understand to some point, at least, that they will not necessarily leave and have a nine to five with a pension. But I think one thing that is lost in the discussion is the amount of work that goes into being your own boss um, and, and mm. the inability to just shut off. Even if you have a great contract, you have to be chasing the next one, right? Yeah. Well, you have to at least keep it in mind. Yeah. And honestly, that that's always the biggest struggle is trying to figure out how to balance the work that you need to get done versus the work you should do to try to keep the, the flow going. You know, uh -huh. it can get frustrating, definitely. And I guess I would say, you know, just in terms of, of generational stereotypes, you know, I think of younger generations as having a better handle on, on working this in some ways, because so much of this is about, you know, your own personal branding, right? It's about your own personal sort of promotion. And I, I do think that younger generations are just sort of more naturally comfortable with the idea of promoting themselves across, you know, more published platforms. Social media certainly is is a large part of trying to stay alive uh, in in this gig economy, right? And For I, sure, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, it's it's not like every. Yeah, I'm not going to say every Gen Z or, or millennial person is, you know, uh, an influencer and on top of of their social media life. But I do think that there definitely is an understanding of how to use social media for those ends in a way that's different from certainly from the way that I think of it. And then also, of course, from older uh, you know, cohorts in my generation. Yeah, that's a really great point. Maybe it's it's just less exhausting if it's already sort of part of your thinking and it's not as you know tiresome to get your phone out and make a real you know, it takes 60 seconds if you're used to it. But for me, it's just like, oh, my goodness, I cannot do a reel. Um, yeah, I've, I <laughs> yeah done, I'm the same way. Yeah, I did one reel and I got a negative comment. I took it down and that was it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, don't, I don't know if it's just us. I mean, like, you know, for me, I, I definitely am not a fan of social media. I, I actively have stopped using it personally. Uh, uh -huh. I've stopped using it personally for, I think, about four or five years now. Uh, I still need to use it um in terms of business, uh, mostly for my clients, honestly, I, I am terrible about promoting myself on social media. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. But I also think that I, you know, I reached a point where I, I didn't feel comfortable necessarily putting myself out there as much anymore. And I also felt like I wanted to keep some privacy for myself. I, I didn't want to just put everything out there. I, I think that we see so many people that are so willing to share every aspect of their life. And, you know, being a person in branding to begin with, being a person that's sort of in a commercial industry, 
I definitely see a through line between the way that advertising and marketing has affected the way we think about demographics and the way that we think about our, ourselves as a negative influence on the way that, that personal branding has kind of gotten out of control, really blurring that line behind, between maybe the work-life balance or between the idea of, of identity and, and the idea of, of fame, I guess, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's definitely, for me, there are still very distinct lines between what I'm willing to put myself out there for, uh, for anyone, for a brand or for myself as promotion and just how I think about myself. And I, I do think that there has been a, an erosion of that kind of line for newer generations that, that grew up with it. You know, I, I do feel like there is just an easier usage there for them, which is maybe because maybe they feel more confident about it. Maybe they just feel like they have better control over it to begin with, or maybe they just don't have the same concerns about you know, sharing certain parts of their life that way. Yeah, wow. I'm just quiet here because I'm taking this all in. You just brought it. That was gold. Okay, let me <laughs> let me just unpack this. Such a great point. So many great points in there. So I do feel younger generations have obviously a, a different level of comfort with social media. They're, they're natives um, making a real... Mm. They have been doing it most of their lives, especially Gen Z, younger millennials. And then uh, the the confidence that maybe is, I, I don't know, do you think that just being comfortable, having so much of yourself public and exposed and being open to dancing on TikTok <laughs> and um, being silly, it, it, that's that just builds this confidence of your brand or I'm not sure you, you put it so well, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm mucking it up a little bit, but I really want to dig into this a little more. No, I think, I think what you're saying is, is, is right. I mean, I, I you know, when I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to stay as unbiased about this as possible. I don't want to make broad sweeping, you know, determinations about these different generations and their usage. But I, I do think that we there is a confidence that you see, and maybe it's in part because they're, maybe it's in, they're in part because these generations have mastered compartmentalization in a way that we haven't. You know, I think that there is a comfortability with sharing um, a really curated life online, uh -huh. right? Yeah. It's not necessarily the real thing. It's not necessarily you know their their whole life, but mm -hmm. they seem to have a comfortability with with really building a persona right in a way that yeah. i don't know if other people in our generation and other cohorts do and if you have that as a basis then i can see where the confidence comes from from that you know uh -huh. but but then i i think well how much you know how, how far can that go are people going to be living <clears throat> these sort of double lives consistently for years and years because uh, that is kind of part of the goal of the brand you know that you have to have what your your audience is facing, right? You have to present what what do you think your audience wants, and then you have to have something for yourself left over, hopefully. <laughs> Another excellent point, because as you said, and great, I mean, the perfect term is what they're presenting is very carefully curated, and it's not necessarily. Um, and again, no judgment. This is just, I mean, if you want to be in an influencer you have to be this perfect and unless your brand is sweatpants which i 
if if there is somebody that that's their brand, I want to follow that person. But um, <laughs> but well, I, I mean, there probably is right. There's yeah, niche yeah. audience for everything, and I feel sure. like so many uh, people in 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 this situation have discovered the niche audiences. Yeah, but uh -huh. I do think that sort of niching is one of the problems we have with siloing of of stereotypes and of the generations in general. You know, yeah. I again, as a brand person, I would say a large part of our problems with generational siloing comes from marketing and comes from advertising. Because I mean, I you know, just personally, with all the projects I've worked on, when you get a brief from a company, it always includes an age target. You know, it always includes yeah. an age range, and uh -huh. of course, over many years, there's a very specific age range that people have zeroed in on because they think it's the most uh, economically viable, right? But even so, all briefs sort of break down their audience into these large silos of activity, so that you can kind of reach your audience on their level, right? And uh -huh. maybe as as we've had just more consumerism in general. I mean, I don't want to go off on a rant or anything about this, but I can see as as there's just been more commercial aspects in our life in general, especially through social media, it's much easier to create these real niche lines in the sand, right? It's yeah. really easy to create these these really splintered audiences uh -huh. that are becoming more and more specifically stereotyped. I would think then as you niche in so much, which as you indicated, you really do need to focus in to find your particular audience, then it kind of, maybe it hinders your ability to change and grow and expand mm -hmm. who you are or, or not necessarily who you are, but who you portray. Um, yeah. This is, um, my mic is fixed in a mic stand. Otherwise I would say this is a mic drop moment. Um, that was, <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was, no, this is really powerful. I'll be I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. I might have to do episode like follow up with you. This is just great. Um, <laughs> so thank you. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. and I almost hate to because I'm just loving this discussion. But one of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast, as I mentioned, is break down silos and um, help people see the appreciation of intergenerational relationships. I think we need to consider how we live, learn, and work together better and be open and vulnerable to striking up a conversation with someone who is younger or older than us. And I think that you will be surprised to find a real rich friendship there. Do you have any relationships with people from different generations that you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly when I was younger, um, being an only child in a single parent family, I, I had a lot of time uh, alone, honestly. And I also grew up in a really rural area, so I didn't necessarily have a lot of people my age around me. Uh, and so from an early age, I always wanted to be like the friends of the adults. I always wanted to be the friends of, you know, <laughs> the older people in the room or wherever we were. And that sort of translated uh, as I went through different parts of school. Um, and certainly by high school, you know, I, I, I had a group of teachers who I, I really valued as as friends in a way, you know, certainly beyond just the classroom stuff. I mean, you know, we enjoyed talking outside of class. We enjoyed um, sharing ideas. And then uh, that carried up through my early working life. Um, you know, I went to an agency uh, where the owners were, I guess they would be probably late boomers at that point. And, you know, that was a really fascinating process to to meet somebody that was actually working in my industry at that age and, and to see what, what their best practices were and, and their attitude were was, which was really positive, frankly. 
Uh, and then what happened is that I, I sort of leapt and went off on my own. And because of that, I, I kind of removed myself from a lot of people in general, you know, you sort of, uh, I didn't really have a big office that I created. So I didn't really have a lot of touch points with a lot of other generations. I didn't really have a lot of touch points with, with other people in the industry even. But a few years ago, I heard about this new networking group called Circle, uh, which is a, a basically a networking group that specializes in intergenerational connections. And I thought, oh, that's a great way to really finally, you know, build my, not just my network, but just my my personal space again. You know, I just need, I, I had a real understanding in a, for a need for diversifying who I was talking to and finding different viewpoints that I definitely was lacking at this point in my life. And I, I have met a number of people through Circle who have been great influences and who have become great friends, both younger and older. You know, I have rolling conversations weekly, monthly, even with a young woman who's, I, I think she would maybe be Gen Z. She might be a millennial. I'm not sure. It doesn't necessarily come up. And then I have a couple of conversations with a few older men in New York that are great. Um, and that also led to being part of a roundtable of discussion on aging uh, with a lot of people that were formerly part of the Encore Network who have this roundtable to just sort of discuss ideas multi-generationally. So, uh -huh. it, you know, I've, I've made a lot of friends through this that I, I now value. And it's been a real, for me, it's been real formative for the last couple of years to think about my own future uh, and also, you know, how to think about aging and ageist issues in general. Uh-huh. The powerful part of that is how intentional you have been. And I think that is really an important takeaway of the many important takeaways that you've added to this discussion, being intentional and being open to relationships, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of race or religion, whatever, just having a curiosity and being open and intentional to a person rather than an age or a gender or whatever, what, you know, we could do cross tabs all over the place, but just sure. being open and vulnerable and you will be surprised at the beautiful friendships and amazing people that we come across. Not all the time, but frequently. Um, do, do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the key part of that in some ways is, is, the word vulnerable, like you were just saying, uh, you know, I think that we at all parts of our lives meet people in different generations, but I also think that it's easier to form strong relationships with people in different generations once you can really empathize with them, which I think you need some level of, of vulnerability to do. You know, I think that you need to be able to recognize yourself in any anybody else to really form a strong connection and I don't know if it's easier for me at this point, uh, in some ways, to form connections with other generations because at this age, I'm less concerned with maybe the authoritative end of it, right? I mean, I think when you're younger, it's hard to maybe push past seeing anyone older than you as some level of authority figure, you know? Yeah. There's sure. sort of a, there's like a, an age um, code switching kind of that goes on, yeah. I think, in a lot of interactions with people, right? And you know, you reach a certain point and you you suddenly realize that, oh, it doesn't matter if, if somebody is 30 or 40 years older than you, they're probably still thinking roughly the same way that you're thinking. You know, that everyone has this this perception of themselves yeah. as a certain age in their head. And once you can kind of really grasp and understand that, you realize that there's really not necessarily a lot of difference in terms of how we might 
talk about something. Mm-hmm. Now, it's just like any other friendship. You have to find somebody that you click with, right? You have to find somebody that you, you think is on you know your level that you'd want to be a good friend with. But I don't think it, I mean, I think that there's plenty of people in any age range that can do that. I don't think it should ever be limited to a specific cohort, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, I think that when people can understand that, then they can really get past the sort of the the mental block they have about whether or not they can talk to somebody 30 or 40 years older or younger about, you know, things that are troubling them about tricky issues about, about life and, and maybe physical things, you know, sex, even like that yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just feels like you have to be able to convince yourself that everyone as a human goes through these same experiences. So somebody's, everyone's going to have something relevant to say. I love that. And what I think resonates maybe not most, but it really resonates with me is you didn't use the words mentor, mentee. And I hear that Mm. so often, like younger people are looking for mentors. Well, maybe they're just looking for friends or advice that doesn't necessarily mean they want a mentor. They may very much want a mentor and an older person is a natural person to ask someone in an authority position. But I think that older people assume that when younger people approach them, they're looking for mentors. And I've had friends even say, you know, I, I just don't have time to take on a mentor. Well, you know, people, yeah. they, a younger person may just want a friendship or someone to talk to. Um, and I really appreciate that while that is definitely a value that older generations can bring to younger generations, we shouldn't frame every cross-generational or intergenerational relationship in terms of one person provides advice and the other receives. Yeah. That, I don't yeah, know. No, what I, do you think of that? Absolutely agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's definitely true. I mean, I, I think that is in some ways a large part of a process to get to get out of the ages mindset. You know, I I think that it's easy enough to start off uh, by encouraging multi-generational interaction, by saying there should be a mentor-mentee or setting it up as a mentor-mentee relationship, you know, but but that in and of itself is so transactional. You know, you're never really going to get beyond, like again, like the code switching aspect of age, right? If if you kind of keep to that. I, I think that ultimately you have to build a friendship first before you can really see whether or not this person is a is going to be someone you can rely on for advice. You know, uh-huh. I I think that um, at this point, for me personally, for instance, I was looking for people uh, who were just sort of positive role models in a way, mm-hmm. not necessarily to give me active advice about anything, but just because I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to see more sort of like positive stories about other generations, you know, because for me personally, again, with my own family, it's been more the negative, honestly. Yeah. It's been a kind of a negative journey for a lot of older uh, family members for me. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily go to, go to these, these other people for advice, outright advice. I, I go yeah. to them because I'm interested in just hearing their viewpoints, yeah. you know, and, and that again is purely about a friendship. I think uh-huh. the, uh, the circle group, I mean, I, I think that they definitely were trying to, to market themselves as more of a networking group for your career or, you know, to create up this, to create a mentor mentee sort of scenario. But the people I met that I, t- I keep in touch with, I mean, really, they're just friends. You know, really, at the end of the day, I was ultimately looking for friendships. Yep. And it was really, you know, I really value the fact that I could find them in that situation. Yeah. 
I am also a, a member of Circle, and uh, full disclosure, that is where I met Jothan, and it has been a great place to meet. I have, like you, met some just amazing people that I now call friends, and I just have had so much joy watching and cheering them in their success. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And I look forward to honestly doing the same for you, Jothan. I am honored to have had the chance to talk with you and learn from you. And I thank you so much for taking the time to to jump on the mic and um, share your thoughts on generations, what it means, stereotypes, all that. And... If you are interested in um, following up with Jothan about his um, amazing creative talent, you can check out his work at jothankashero.com. You will also find his website in the show notes, or you can find him on LinkedIn or email him at jothankashero at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me for this just phenomenal discussion, Jonathan. Uh, thank you for having me. And, and likewise, Dr. Jennifer, I, I really appreciated this. I really appreciate talking to you about all these aspects. I would love to continue conversations off, you know, off air <laughs> at yeah. some point if you'd like. So I'm always around and, and I appreciate this connection too. Thank you for joining us for Generation Jams as we journey to better understand generations and how we can live, learn, and work together. Follow us wherever you find your podcasts or listen to us on 360 Talk Radio for Women.